It's June 1st, 2016, and welcome to another uh, another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's tech and science. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ran Ozawa. We're going to start the hour with a local tech calendar with two guests here to tell us about upcoming events. Ad Murata from the Pacific Aviation Museum is returning to tell us about the annual Biggest Little Air Show. Then Matt Ho from Creative RT is here to tell us about Pearl Ridge Center's virtual reality roller coaster exhibit. And finally, we'll talk about the uh, MATE ROV with organizers and students that were participating just a couple of weeks ago. We'll learn about the competition, what are the challenges of designing and operating robots underwater. Of course, we welcome your comments and questions as part of that conversation. You can contact us by calling in or sending us a tweet after the break. Before we get to that, though, we'll turn our attention to tech headlines outside Hawaii and continue the geek beat from this morning, specifically to Taipei. What's going on over there, Bert? Well, you know, I guess uh, this is the biggest uh, com- you know, computer expo in Asia, and it's probably second only to uh, CES. Right. It's up there with CES, Mobile World Congress, but it's very hardware-based. Right. And, and, you know, in Taipei, of course, Taipei has a lot of uh, manufacturers over there, and, and it's, a, it's a place where they can showcase all the, all the things that might go into a computer, and even things that you didn't even imagine that might go into a computer. Absolutely. So it's the Computex Conference, and uh, we want to talk about some of the things that were announced in the last few days. Um, Asus is a Taiwanese brand, mm-hmm. so they get a lot of play. They talked about their Zen Book, their laptop that's sexier and thinner than the Apple Mac. Book Air. They had the Zen phone, which is their cell phone. But most people were excited about the Zenbo robot. This is a home robot that rolls around. It's basically like a Amazon Echo with wheels and an iPod, yeah, iPad it, for a head. It, it sort of looked like a BB-8 with a yeah, like an iPad with a head. Yeah, everybody's comparing <laughs> it to um, Eve from from uh, the the. Now I don't know how. Wally. Would you would you pay six hundred bucks and and buy something like that? Well, and have first it of all, wander around your house. Six hundred dollars is a very good price for a device like this. Yeah. There was the Pepper Robot announced earlier this year at seventeen hundred dollars. So six hundred dollars for Zenbo is pretty cool. But yes, it's going to walk around. It says it's going to take pictures, and I'm not sure you're going to like all of the pictures that it's going to take. But it can remind you to take your medication. It can tell you about upcoming events. It can read stories to your children. So they say it's good for families. It's good for seniors, like a Kapuna assistant. So I thought it was a pretty neat technology. Well, the next thing I'm going to hear is that you might buy one for me. Well, I think you're about ready for your uh, (laughs) Kapuna assistant. There was also a lot about VR. Well, so VR is probably the hot topic this year. And everybody, you know, with their, uh, whether it's uh, Microsoft HoloLens or the HTC Vive, I mean, they were all there. But what it seems that uh, everything is moving to is getting developers and getting, you know, like other hardware uh, developers to actually add on, let's say, Pieces that augment what the the you know the Vive or the Hololens already does. So in the case of the uh, the uh, the HTC Vive, they had a company called uh, was it um, Valve? Valve that makes Steam, Steam, the- Steam VR, Steam VR, and what they were doing was actually providing an environment where a green screen room could be layered. And then the the actual images and the environment that you were in in the VR would be sort of shown on a on a, a monitor, which you could actually display for others to watch. Right, absolutely, because nobody looks good with a giant VR head goggle on. I think that's one of the primary reasons why it's not caught on. But with the green screen technology, you could have your friends in the room, and rather than them just seeing you shake your head around randomly and pointing your stick at things they don't see, they can watch the screen with the green screen and see you 
in the world that you see yourself mm-hmm. in. So mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty cool. Now, and what then, about the, what about Intel? I mean, Intel was pretty prominent there. Well, they've had a, they've had a very strong prom. Uh, presence at Computex before. This is one of their smaller ones. And I think a lot of people were saying this is Intel pulling back because really the idea of high-end computing and CPUs and laptops and desktop computers is kind of going by the wayside. People are more excited about mobile and about the Internet of Things, which mm-hmm. is low-cost, low uh, low performance necessarily hardware. But they did talk about their 10-core extreme i7. If you want the fastest computer in the world, it's now coming out for $1,700. So again, you're going to have to really want that fast that's, computer. And that's just one process. That's just that's just <laughs> one process. you got to get the rest of that computer. But watch the headlines. Computex is still going on. Yep. Well, we want to uh, also bring Anne Murata back on the show. And, of course, uh, they're coming up with an eventful week with a lot of stuff going on this weekend. And, of course, the Pacific Aviation Museum is having their annual biggest little air show. Anne, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's nice to be back. Welcome back. So now we've been uh, enjoying the biggest little air show for the last uh, several years. And, of course, uh, we're looking forward to it coming up this weekend. What are some of the new things that might be featured at this uh, Biggest Little Air Show? Well, <clears throat> the first thing we have new that everybody's talking about, and I, I, it's weird, but it's Hawaii, is snow. We're going to bring mm-hmm. in mountains of snow for children for two full days out there in, really? our, in our keiki zone. We have a keiki zone, which is rides and attractions uh-huh. and uh, bounce houses and rock climbing. So that's not enough. We have to bring in snow also, but it's very cool. <laughs> Hawaiian Ice is providing the snow. Mrs. Joan Bellinger is donating the money to pay for it so the kids can have that going on. While we've got amazing aircraft in the air, the well, Warbirds war West. The, yeah, I want to hear about the aircraft, but I just have to say if there's anything that I, that I also hear from my kids who love the visitor shows, that it's a little, it's kind of a warm event sometimes yes. out there in Fort Island. We're going to kind of warm. We're going to so, cool it off a bit this year with the snow, so okay. it'll be big. So yeah. tell us about these Warbirds. Warbirds West is flying in. They're the largest um, planes we've ever had flying. This is our ninth air show, so this is, this is the largest planes we've ever had flying. They're flying mm-hmm. in from the mainland. In fact, they're already here. And they will be live streaming on their Facebook page the whole show. Um, they're flying planes that are one-fourth size the size of regu- regular planes. So they're huge, and they're doing amazing, amazing performances. The actual show, their performance starts at 1 o'clock and goes to 4. They'll be doing jet performances, helicopter aerobatics, a tribute to the Battle of Midway because this year the air show is dedicated to the Battle of Midway, hmm. which occurs on June 3rd. We will be celebrating it then and then dedicating the show on the 4th and the 5th. And the Warbird performers, and then and then tributes to a lot of different fine pilots. Again, this year also we have a special keiki area, which is near where the performers are flying out of, and the kids will be able to be in a tent with the pilots, meet the pilots, hear the hear the stories, get pictures, get autographs signed, and stuff like that. So we've added a lot of show kind of quality to it this year. Mm-hmm. And these are all radio controlled. Uh, These aircraft. are radio-controlled aircraft, but when they're that large, they're uh, they're pretty big. Mm-hmm. And, and when they get in the air, you can't tell the difference. And the and the folks that you have come over, they're part of clubs around the country, yes. right? That actually come to yes. Hawaii with their with their aircraft. Well, this group, Warbirds West, they're a bunch of guys from California, but they're also all over the the mainland. But this guy, this group from. Uh, from the mainland, is going to fly at Oshkosh in August again. So this is kind of warm-up for their big choreographed mm. show at Oshkosh. 
Mm-hmm. And then, uh, do you do you actually have anybody flying drones at this uh, event? Uh, there are drone pilots. Yeah, we're, we we kind of watch that, but there are always drone pilots out there. <laughs> but that's not a, that's not a major feature of, no, of this. Every, drones show. are so you know common. Every, everybody's got one. <laughs> well, you know the th- interesting thing about these model aircraft is that there's so much care that goes into the building and the you know the maintenance of these these aircraft. They I mean, spend fifty to hundred thousand dollars on these planes. They're amazing. They're huge. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, in addition to coming to see these model planes, and they're rather large, it sounds like, like you said, they are very impressive. And I agree that when you're starting, especially if you're trying to take a picture of them in the air and stuff, at a certain point, you forget that they're not necessarily the giant airplanes. Exactly. But they're also going to be able to enjoy some of the other exhibits that are always available, like the the hangar that you have. Well, Hangar 79 will be open. That'll be part of the show that's, you know, free with the show. Mm-hmm. And that'll be filled with, we'll have open cockpits so the kids can put on flight suits and the pilots can even put on flight suits. We have things for adults. You can get in the big jets. You can get in the big helicopters. We'll have a lot of food and a lot of fun on the on the fairway. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the uh, the the main mu- museum, that's still ad- admission, right? Uh, Hangar 37, which is the end, the first hangar you go into will be regular admission if you want mm-hmm. to go into that. That's mm-hmm. the World mm-hmm. War II, Pearl Harbor bombing, that whole part of the museum. Mm-hmm. Hangar 79, which is the bigger hangar, which is uh, out, uh, the second hangar, is the one where we'd be doing all the air show um well, there's a lot of there's a lot of exhibits in that in that hangar seventy nine anyway. Hangar right? seventy nine will be filled with stuff to do. Uh-huh. We're but gonna if, open that one up with hangar tours and the open cockpits. But I, I would say that I like I like the main museum as well, the Pan Am exhibit, mm-hmm. some of those mm-hmm. old airplanes. Well, you know what's in seventy nine, which is cool. A lot of people haven't had a chance to see is that we just got the Nakajima Kate. There are only two Kates in the world. That's we right. have one of them, and it's sitting in our restoration shop in Hangar 79, so you'll get to see that, mm-hmm. as well as mm-hmm. Swamp Ghost. That's the only Swamp Ghost in the world, yeah, B-17. No, that's, a, that's a great story behind the Swamp Ghost. Oh, it's fabulous. Now, for people to actually go to Ford Island, usually you have to catch the shuttle from Pearl Harbor, you know, the, uh, the uh, Memorial we'll have exhibit. The, we'll have the shuttle running for free that mm-hmm. day, but you can also drive on for air right, show. Right, so that's great. I, I'm that's glad that you gift. got... Yeah, it, it's totally a gift because if, you know, if you don't have that luxury, you have to do all the security things. Yeah, and yeah the gates are open for air show, which is really nice of the Navy to do. We really appreciate that. So just drive on out, follow the Guys with the wands and the jackets and the suits and the vests and park, and it's all free. Are you going to have a candy drop again? We will have a candy bombing at 4 o'clock each day, one on Saturday and one on Sunday. So the air show is Saturday and Sunday. If you miss it one day, you can come for the other. Yeah, so for the kids, I mean, the candy drop is a fun event. I mean, the candies just drop from the air. It's like, whoa, where did these come from? Yeah. Now, some of those planes that actually fly, they do some pretty interesting maneuvers. Oh, the, uh, the, uh, this, this club that's coming in, as well as our, our local boys, we have some amazing local boys. The uh, Birds of Paradise air show team, the Paradise Flyers, the uh, Aloha State Radio Control Club, mm-hmm. they yeah. always fly with us. So we'll have, we'll have flying from about 12 o'clock on, and then the actual Warbird show starts at 1. And they do things that you can't do in a regular plane, too. I mean, some pretty death-defying, gravity-physics-defying performances. There'll be a lot of um, dogfighting in the air. So, and details, where, when? Um, Get all the information on the website, PacificAviationMuseum.org. And the tickets are $5. You can buy them right on the website, or $15 for a family of six. Mm. And uh, come on out.
Sounds good. Thanks, Anne, for joining us. Thank you for we'll having me. We'll see you out there. Aloha. And, of course, next up, we have Matt Ho from Creative RT, and he's here to tell us about Pro Ridge's new VR roller coaster exhibit. Welcome to the show, Matt. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure being here. Now, you know, I am um, not familiar with uh, Creative RT, and, and what you were saying earlier was that there's, there's a, a, a whole slew of exhibits that you folks have put on. Maybe, maybe share a little bit about some of the popular exhibits that you've previously put on that uh, I think people you know people will recall these well I would say the main uh, one that most people here on the islands would recall would be our uh, annual butterfly exhibit right, that we right. have going on um, in that we feature about a, a few hundred butterflies where people can actually come and interact with them and uh, feed them and get a chance to learn about the mm-hmm. importance of butterflies there so how do you get from butterflies to virtual reality roller coasters oh uh, well uh, we ended up here at the Virtual Reality Roller Coaster. Uh, the owner of the company, uh, Tom Clevenger, he's uh, always looking for the next thing that might be popular and, and fun as well for everyone. Um, and while he was over at uh, one of the big conventions out on the East Coast, he actually uh, ran into the VR roller coaster that we have now. And uh, he rode it. He enjoyed it so much that he figured that why not bring it to the island so everybody here with us can uh, experience it as well. Can you share a little bit about what the um, you know what hardware will you be using for this VR roller coaster? Oh, definitely. Uh, well, we'll start at the actual headset itself, the virtual reality headset. We're running the Oculus Rift DK2, mm-hmm. so it's the most current of those. Um, those will run into our main four computers, which are running i7 processors currently, uh, alongside with a 980 GFX AMD graphics card, so high-end gaming graphics card designed for this purpose here. Um, We have that running into a huge relay board as well as a a giant bridge where we have probably, I don't know, maybe about 18 to 20 different IPs and Ethernet cords (laughs) running into. So it's a giant... Uh, giant awesome. That that sounds like the Computex, the Computex trade show. It's happening right, right here. Yeah, in, in fact, I can imagine where you will have in the not-too-distant future this sort of green screen capability where you can actually map the environment right onto the green screen so everybody who's at Pro Ridge can actually see what that person is participating in so that it's not like just one guy, you know, acting kind of quirky (laughs) in front of everybody, right? You know, it's wonderful, actually. We actually have uh, built-in monitors that will display each Oculus Rift's individual ride. So they'll be able to see what, just like you said, um, through our monitors, what each individual rider is looking at, where they're turning. And it's kind of exciting to see everybody kind of freaking out Mm -hmm. and having fun as they're like, whoa, look at that. And they're kind of ducking and just... It's pretty awesome. So when people are participating in the VR roller coaster, is it a number of people on the same ride, so they're all going to lean at the same time, or you're Correct. everybody's having their own adventure on their own time? No. Uh, what's going to happen is they actually come up to uh, our touchscreen that's running off of a Palas touchscreen. Um, they will actually create their own roller coaster by holding their finger down and drawing it out. Uh, it can go up to about 1,000 meters, mm-hmm. which equates to about a minute and a half ride. Um, and pretty much what they'll do is the computer will generate the actual ride for them. No two rides are ever the same. And it'll generate that to um, the four headsets. You will then sit in it. And just like you said, a group of four will actually ride the ride all together that either they all come up together or one person draws and everybody just surprises. So it's like Roller Coaster Tycoon that you can be 
in it. Exactly. So I have to ask you this question, Go though. Ahead. VR headsets also have, for some people, a side effect of getting a little dizzy. Now, the interesting thing is people get on real roller coasters to get dizzy, so right. perhaps this actually works in favor of this technology, but how, how are you managing that? Uh, well, so far, everybody that we've had uh, try it out, they've had haven't had too much issue with that. Um, the amount of time that you're actually wearing the headset is so short um, that it's pretty much a smooth transition back to you know normal vision. <laughs> Correct. So, how many minutes? I mean, uh, you know, if you're going to design something and you're doing all this, you know, the 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 360 twirls and the you know the spins around. Right. I mean, how long of a uh, experience would this be in in VR? Uh, in VR, it's about a minute and a half ride. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot longer than it seems, um, <laughs> and by the by the about a minute and a half, people are so even the ones that are like, nah, I don't think this is really gonna do anything to me. I don't think it's really gonna get me. And then those are the ones that they're grabbing onto the harness and like, oh man, oh I don't know what's going on. It's it's great. Is there an audio component? To there this is person? actually. Um, we have two, I believe it's ten inch um, speakers that we're using coming out of mm-hmm. uh, Pioneer Amp. And that's displaying or playing our music. Of course, the roller coaster uh, sound effects themselves, alongside some um, music that plays in the background as well. Very cool. So, when is this happening? Is this going to be? This is going to be at Pro Ridge, and it starts up kind of like this weekend, right? But which, which Pro, I'm always confused. Like, which Pro Ridge is it? Well, it's actually going to be on the Uptown Pro Ridge side. Okay. It's going to be part of the event. Um, the virtual reality roller coaster is part of our Imagine Fun uh, event that we're having there, which features aspects on both Uptown and Downtown. Um, so it will begin this Saturday on June 4th, mm-hmm. and it's going to be running all the way until July 24th. And is there a admission or a cost every time you go through? Yes, the uh, we currently have a general admission of $5. To the broader Imagine Fund. Experience. Correct. Um, with the exception of, of course, the virtual reality roller coaster, which will be $5 uh, per ride. Uh, or per rider, I should say, and the Euro Bungee, which is a trampoline hybrid of a bungee as well, where kids can go up, and even adults as well. Um, they can do tricks and flips and all kinds of different things and go actually maybe about 25 to 30 foot up completely safe. So Wait, 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 wait. wait. So the, the Euro Bungee is an actual bungee experience, or is that a VR experience? That's an actual uh, athletic experience. Oh, wow. Oh. So we have a combination. I'd like to say Imagine Fun's a pretty perfect blend of athletics and technology. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. So if somebody wanted to find more about this, uh, can they go to the website? Definitely. You can visit us at ProRidgeOnline.com for this and more info on all of the events coming up. ProRidgeOnline.com. Okay. All right. I'm Thanks, glad I Matt. Know that now. Thank you for having me. We'll put that up on the show notes. Yes, very good. And thank you, Matt, for joining us. And of course, uh, we'll take a short break. And when we return, we'll be joined by organizer Andy Goshorn and... Uh, uh, Rayanne Lee from Pearl City Highlands. Also, students Lily Adcock and Alex Yamada will talk about underwater robotics. Besides going underwater, how does this competition differ from other robotics challenges? Of course, if you've participated in this program, we'd like to hear from you. If you've got questions or thoughts, you can give us a call at 941 3689 or toll free from the neighbor islands, 877 941 3689. And of course, we're live in the studio. You can tweet us your questions as well at Bite Marks or at Hawaii. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Tired of the everyday routine? Yeah. Want to get away from it all? Yeah. We offer you Escape! I'm Jad Abumrad. On the next Radio Lab, we escape from jail. He's an escape artist and folk hero. From our past. I don't think there's any way Chris changes. And from the solar system. Our first baby steps into interstellar space. 
Saturday morning at 10. Next time on The Conversation, we continue the discussion on Hawaii business, this time for Native Hawaiian entrepreneurs. And we'll tap into Southern Soul with Luther Dickinson and Anders Osborne. That's tomorrow morning at 8 on The Conversation. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Bush Consulting and Sacred Hearts Academy. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And, of course, uh, joining us today are Andy Goshorn and, of course, Lily Adcock, Alex Yamada, and Rayanne Lee. Wow, we've got a full studio here. I love it. And, of course... Uh, uh, let's see. Lily, Alex, and Ryan are, are students over at uh, a combination of Highlands Intermediate School and Pearl City High School. And, of course, they're all members of this year's Mate ROV team from uh, Pearl City. Andy, in turn, is from the Coast Guard and serves as the key point person, the organizer for underwater robotics competitions, including Sea Perch and Mate ROV. And, of course, how can Hawaii continue this momentum around underwater robotics? And, of course, we'll want to hear that from uh, Andy here because he's got some plans. We'd love to hear your questions and comments. And, of course, that number to call is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. We want to welcome you all to Bite Marks Cafe. Thank you so much for having us. It's great to be here. Now, Andy, I want you to start off a little bit with, uh, I know you've been very involved with, uh, the, you know, the uh, Coast Guard. They have, they've, they've been great sponsors and, and supporters of the underwater robotics. And Sea uh, Perch was earlier this year, and Mate ROV was just uh, about a month or so ago. Uh, in your eyes, what are sort of the differences between Sea Perch and Mate ROV? Well, that's a great question. They're both very complementary programs. Sea Perch is a great starting point for a lot of schools that don't have any underwater or robotics experience. The kits are very simple. All the parts come in one small box, and with the help of a soldering iron, some PVC cutting, a Sea Perch team can be up and running. Mate ROV goes beyond that. It takes a little bit more industry, off-the-shelf uh, components. Um, there's no waterproofing of motors. Uh, the students are jumping much more into doing uh, building robots that are solving real-world challenges. Sea Perch is just a basic obstacle course, but Mate ROV is doing simulated uh, missions to uh, the moons in the in uh, in, in space, uh, re- recovering satellites from underneath the uh, Earth's crust, and things of that nature. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now we had you on earlier to sort of preview this most recent Mate ROV competition, but now it has taken place. There was an excellent article about it written by one Bert Lum for Civil Beat wow, about this competition. But for those who did not somehow see this unmissable piece of media... <laughs> well, I'll put it up on the show notes. How's that? <laughs> um, what unfolded this year? How would you describe that competition? So this year was, again, another great competition. The students really impressed us with uh, their resilience and their ability to think on their feet, uh, not only to solve the challenges that we put in the, uh, in the pool for them, but for the challenges that they experienced on game day itself, where uh, we all know where we've been to that moment where we've built something, spent a long time getting ready, and it doesn't quite work when you get to the fin- you know to the start line. So we saw a lot of teams kind of scramble on him to think creatively, and that's and that's hard. That's what engineering is about. It never always goes quite to plan, and these students are really learning real-world engineering experiences. 
Now, I want to have the students say a little bit about uh, what their role in their respective teams are. Maybe we'll start with uh, Alex. Alex, uh, Alex Yamada, right? Yes. Alex, tell us what your team uh, name is and your role in that team for Mate ROV. So the name of my team was Trades and Robotics, mm-hmm. and my role on this team was the lead technical writer and also the CEO or team leader. Wow. So, so as a CEO, which is a chief executive officer, yes. what were sort of like the responsibilities that you had? Uh, my res- main responsibility was keeping constant communication between every member to make sure it was going to plan or staying on schedule and someone didn't do something that they weren't supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And also as lead technical writer, I always had to keep in contact with the other members so I knew exactly the rationale for that change and things like that. Mm-hmm. So p- before we get much further, it sounds like there are a number of potential roles that someone can play on a Mate ROV team. Um, uh, Alex, you're an incoming senior now at Pro City High School. Um, Lily, you're what grade are you in? I'm going to be an incoming sophomore. All right. So before you tell us what your role was, what are some of the other cool titles, hats that you get to wear as part of a Mate ROV team? Um, currently, we have roles such as software engineer, electrical engineer, mechanical engineer, and then we also have things such as public relations, quality and safety inspector, all of the different roles to make sure that the team can work smoothly. Now, wow. now Lily, there was also a, a chief financial officer too, right? Yes. And and as a, as a chief financial officer, what role did that person play? Um, their job on the team is to make sure that the financial side of it, like we had a budget of, I think, $3,000 and we had to make sure that he, their job is to make sure that everything on the ROV is bought within that budget and that we aren't going over and that everything's going to go smoothly money-wise. Mm-hmm. So that, that's impressive. So you could potentially get gold-plated nozzles if you wanted, but that would probably blow your budget. So, uh, Lily, what was your specific role? Um, my role on my team, Kaikoa Enterprises, was CEO and electrical engineer. Oh, two CEOs in the room. Wow, two CEOs. And, you know, they, they played very important roles. And, of course, uh, Rayanne, I mean, what was your role? And uh, Well, first off, okay, so what team were you on and what year are you and how many years have you been involved with this Mate ROV? Um, I was also on Triton Robotics like Alex, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm going to be in eighth grade, and this is my first year in Mate. So for Triton, I was the quality and safety inspector as well as the CEO, the chief, chief operating officer. Yeah. So, so Rianne, were you uh, previously involved with Seaperch? Uh, yes. So for school, we had a inter-school competition before states, and so participating in Seaperch really helped me before going into Mate mm-hmm. to learn the technical stuff and like then go to the harder stuff for me. <laughs> well, I, I love that there's this interaction between Pro City High School and Highlands Intermediate. Um, so, Rayanne, I mean, uh, what is that like to be in a team of largely, it sounds like, older students? Well, it's... Do they take, their under, do they take you under their wing or do they give boss you a hard you around, time? Like, does <laughs> Alex like, just kind of like boss you around? They all make sure that we get to learn everything, the different parts, and then they also help us find like what we enjoy and um, figure out our jobs. So then, yeah, it's great to have older team members to teach us. Yeah, that's great. So, of course, we have to shout out to uh, teacher Kathy Lynn because Kathy Lynn has been very much involved from 
just about all the robotics programs, but uh, also inclusive of uh, Sea Perch as well as Mate ROV. And she's kind of she's uh, what science teacher over at the Highlands Intermediate, right? And so she has uh, the students sort of getting involved with you know the robotics program. All of course after hours, so that's a that's a pretty tall order. So. Both of you, um, Lily and Alex, I mean, you guys started in, in uh, Sea Perch as well, right? Back when you were in those younger days at, at Highlands. Then. Yeah. Uh, when I first started with Mrs. Lynn, I was thrown into Mate because I actually don't know why. But I was thrown straight into Mate, and it was pretty intense, and I just had to push I had to learn everything from scratch. And from there, I went into Sea Perch and Mate. So, oh, so I you started went, you with me. You, you, oh, so you went kind of backwards. You yeah. went from the complex mate competition and then back into sea perch. Yeah. And then did you did you what were you um what was the most noticeable thing that was the difference between sea perch? I mean, was it much easier when you kind of went back? Yeah, the diff- for me the difference was mate, it's a lot more in depth. You learn a lot more in depth about the underwater ROV and how it operates, where sea perch is kind of just surface level basic things that just allow you to get a grasp of underwater robotics. So it's it was cool looking, I guess, going backwards and seeing how everybody else learned it. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, Alex, as team CEO and as the elder statesman of this program, I mean, how did you get started? How long have you been in it? And I'm curious if you had any experience in any other robotics programs. Uh, the way I got into it was through Mrs. Lin. I got involved in a lot of other scientific STEM um, activities. So I really like to thank her for getting into this, getting into this field and having a lot of enjoyable experiences. So I didn't actually start in Seaporch or Mate. I actually started in science fairs and science olympiads, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and this provided just, I guess, the the method of learning and really taking responsibility for your actions. So I didn't have that much technical experience in engineering, but I did have experience just putting forth full effort. So that did play a role in my um, performance in the Mate competition. But I did do sea perch in the past, and it really was different from mate because you don't. There's less things that can go wrong in the sea perch competition, so it's a lot more surface problems, like Lily said. So mate really was a great experience for me to get actual engineering experience that I'll carry on to my future endeavors. Now you know with uh, with sea perch, I mean, it still has to operate underwater, and but does sea perch actually have any electronics? It has electronics on the the uh, ROV, right? So don't you still have some? No, so Andy, I mean, what? So what's 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 on board with the Sea uh, Perch so ROV? See, on on board Sea Perch Sea Perch ROVs is just the uh, the three motors that they have. Whereas for Mate ROV, um, they'll start with the three basic motors, and then um, even at the most basic level, they may add in a fluid powered uh, uh, hydraulic claw or actuator or something of that nature. And as they move up through the mate classes, each class adds a onboard component. So at the navigator class, they're putting some sort of underwater imagery. So a, mm-hmm, they have to mm-hmm, learn how to waterproof mm-hmm. a video camera. And at the ranger class, not only do they have um, the underwater camera, they also have usually some uh, method of measuring things underwater. So we have to, they'll have to take a measurement of how deep the iceberg is or how far off the seafloor the... Um, Something is, and then so there's always each level go adds another level of complexity. Now, Rianne, I know you had a very specific role on the team, and everyone does. But I'm curious, as part of a team, Triton, for example, does uh, do you, does everybody have an opportunity, perhaps, to try perhaps their hands at the controls or to get a feel for the mechanisms and the devices that you're building and using, or is it pretty strict in terms of fulfilling the duties, which are substantial for every individual role? 
We all, all of us got to learn the different parts. So we also tried out like driving the ROV to pick who would be the best pilot. Oh. So then, yeah. So we needed to decide who was best at each job before assigning the roles. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I was uh, watching both your uh, performances underwater as well as your uh, presentation to the judges. So, so Rianne and, and, and Alex, I mean, how did you feel about that experience with the judges evaluating you on your design and your financials and all that aspect of, uh, of you know, the uh, sort of like the pitch of Triton? Uh, it was a really good experience for us because we really got to uh, explain to others all of our effort. And mm-hmm. there was also other people in the room, so we wanted to really express how much work we put in and also maybe inspire others to take part in the mate competition mm-hmm. as well. And for you, Rayanne, to stand up there and make your case in front of the judges, what was that experience like? A little nervous, but it was um, a good learning ex- experience to speak in front of the judges and then it's also important to have a lot of practice with your team, so you need to have a lot of communication. So, you know, I, and that's a good point because the amount of practice, I mean, you know, we might just see the presentation or the underwater performance, but give us a little sense as to what, you know, how would you practice for that that the judging uh, uh, part of the competition? Did you have to, let's say, g- assemble your team and maybe present in front of, you know, Mrs. Lin, and you know, what? How did you prepare for that? We practiced in front of our coaches, and then we wrote our own scripts to, and compared it to the rubric to make sure that we got all the points. Mm-hmm. And but it was important that we wrote our own scripts because then it would be like our voice talk speaking to the mm-hmm. judges. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Lilia, CEO of your team, um, any thoughts on that presentation? Now, basically, public speaking is many people's greatest fear. So I, I, I imagine that making a presentation to judges for a score that would impact your team's ultimate placement is nerve-wracking. Yeah. For a lot of people, it gets easier as you keep doing it and doing it. But for me, I do not like public speaking at all. So every time we go in there, I get really nervous. But as I select, what I've learned is I'm not the best at the speaking part. But when people, when the judges are actually asking me the questions, I can do that part because it's I know the answers and I know what they're talking about. But things such as the presentation freak me out because I'm just like. I can't remember what I wrote. <laughs> you're doing fine right here. I was so about I to think say. Yeah, you, you've got a great future as a, a public speaker, I, in my opinion. So how many um, people is, are making the presentation, are standing on that stage? Um, so for our team, we had five people. Yeah, we had five people. So each person is assigned different parts that they have to say based on what they worked on during the season and what they know and what their expertise is. So for it's not... It's challenging, but it's in a way it helps us get an idea and a perspective of what we're learning and how to share it with everybody else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, you know, I was kind of amused that uh, the, when when I saw you uh, practicing up at that secret location in, in uh, IA Heights, uh, everybody had to, uh, at some point in time, put down their robots and go off to band practice. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of curious. Uh, did you folks also get involved with some of the, the sort of like the terrestrial robots, like like VEX and, and um, uh, FIRST Robotics? Um, from a young age of, I think, second or third grade, I started with FLL. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So that I did that until I went to Mrs. Lynn's, and from there I did both 
FTC and Science Olympiad. Okay, and and Alex, what what kind of uh, extracurricular stuff did you do besides? Let's see. I know you mentioned Science Olympiad, science Olympiad yeah. and Science Fair. Did you do any other robotic stuff? Uh, when I was at Highlands, I participated in a lot of different engineering programs like FLL, um, RoboFest, and things like those. But mm-hmm. as of right now, I found my interest in Science Olympiads and Science Fairs. So that's the main competitions that I do right now. Oh, okay. okay. Well, it sounds interesting that you would start or that you would get into robotics from Science Olympiad and go straight into uh, Mate ROV because... The thing that I find fascinating about underwater robotics is most other robotics programs are based on a two-dimensional playing field. And uh, just like that great scene in Star Trek, it gets much more complicated, Star Trek Two, when you have to think in three dimensions. So you come in and you don't have to worry about moving around a physical uh, obstacle course on a platform, but you're going to have to go over and under things. And water is not the most friendly environment to electronics. I mean, when you show up at the pool and you're starting to see these elements interact, um, what was that experience like coming over from maybe more theoretical like a science Olympiad or a science fair? Yes, we learned very well firsthand that things on paper don't always translate to physical objects. And also, again, like you said, water and electricity don't match so well. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> learning firsthand did give us a lot of experience. And also, it was really fun to see that when your um, paper components, your drawings actually turn into real life components and actually function in their design purpose. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, one of the interesting uh, design uh, decisions that I think you've, you've had to make was how much electronics do you actually want to put on board the ROV versus have out, you know, in on dry land? But then the trade-off is that you have a pretty large sort of umbilical cord that, that reaches out to the uh, ROV. Uh, Alex, I mean, you guys had Triton, so that that um, what was your sort of design consideration when looking to decide how much electronics do I put on board? Our limiting factor that we had during our designing phases was our budget. We had a $300 budget, so it was pretty constricting. We looked towards very simple components, and which resulted in not that many motors and not that many cameras. So we made up for that with a lot of practice and just really specializing our tools to make sure they could do it in the on uh, in a certain time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, Lily, for your team, I mean, I like what Bert had pointed out. I mean, if you put everything in the controller, it's safely out of water, but suddenly your umbilical cord is four inches thick and won't <laughs> won't bend around anything. So uh, did you struggle with those challenges? Did you have a specific strategy that your team followed? Um, we considered having onboard electronics in our ROV, but due to what we tried to do is we took all the materials that we already had and we said, what can we use? So we used motors from previous years and things like that. And we kept our electronics on land just because we weren't sure if we had the time or the experience to make the onboard electronics work. So for us, our tether was really heavy and really thick. And that became a problem because at the beginning, our tether went straight to the bottom. It sunk and it pulled our ROV with it. Mm -hmm. So we had to add a lot of flotation throughout the tether to make sure that it wouldn't drag our ROV back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I know the uh, Kaimana Enterprise folks aren't represented here in, in, you know, our uh, uh, interview here today. But, uh, you know, they had a big influence on the, the whole team, right? I mean, the combination of, I guess, Triton and, and Kaikoa and uh, Kaimana. I mean, uh, the, the most advanced electronics or most advanced ROV was, was probably on Kaimana, right? I mean, can you, can you speak a little bit about what, what, they, what their challenges were? So one of the challenges that Kaimana had was 
in, last year they tried to use do onboard electronics, but because they tried to put everything on the ROV, there was this huge rectangular box that was on the ROV, and be, it didn't seal. So when we put it in the water, it leaked right away. So this year we tried for the average circular um, cylinder, mm-hmm. and that ended up working. And but because it's such an advanced system, they had a hard time getting to the pool and getting the pool practices in, which caused it to take a little longer, which made it a little harder for them at competition. But mm-hmm. they still did pretty good. You know, we want to. I'll get into a little bit more about the you know sort of like the performance of of each of the teams. But we want to hold that thought. We'll be right back after this uh, short break to continue our conversation with Andy and Alex and Lily and Rayanne about uh, the Mate ROV Underwater Robotics Competition. And if you've got a question about what it takes to operate a robot underwater or how you might get involved in a similar program, you can give us a call. You can call 941-3689 or reach us toll-free from the neighbor islands at 877-941-3689. We're also paying attention on Twitter. This is Bite Marks Cafe. On the next On Being, Capitalism and the Evolution of Morality, with biological anthropologist Melvin Connor and social psychologist Jonathan Haidt. So here's the irony. The left generally hates capitalism, but capitalism changes everybody's values to be more leftist. (laughs) I'm Krista Tippett. Please join us. Sunday morning at 10, following Weekend Edition. I have got you. Be sure to tune in on Sunday afternoon at 5 for Sinatra, the man in the music. Sinatra sings on the radio programs Your Hit Parade, Broadway Bandbox, and the Texaco Star Theater in May 1943. I'm Guy Steele inviting you to join me for Sinatra, the man in the music, Sunday at 5 on Hawaii Public Radio. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Bush Consulting and Sacred Hearts Academy. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozal. And we're talking to Andy Goshorn with the Coast Guard and a coordinator of the Sea Perch and Mate ROV Underwater, Underwater Robotics Program, as well as Lily Adcock, Alex Armada from Pearl City High School, and Rayanne Lee from Highlands Intermediate about underwater robotics. Of course. And if, uh, if you want to give us a call, that number here is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877 877- Nine four one three six eight nine from the neighbor islands. Right before the break, we were talking about some of the actual complexities that go into designing this ROV. And of course, you know, Andy, you you mentioned that sea perch. You know, a lot of it is is pretty much uh, predetermined. There's not a whole lot of electronics on board. There's pretty much a, a hook, and you can you know maneuver your ROV. But with the with mate, I mean, there's there's actually quite a bit of stuff in there, and. And Alex, so you know, with the um, with the three teams that that sort of came out of Pro City, there's a lot of interaction amongst the three teams. I mean, there's a lot of sharing of some of the technology and some of the expertise. And with you know, with the different um, uh, ROVs that you've you've built, what would you say have been some of the best subsystems that you might add to your ROV that maybe have come from Kaimana or perhaps from Kaikoa? Uh, in terms of our design, we're taking from Kaimana the onboard electronic system because this system would allow the tether to be to be significantly reduced and make it a lot lighter. And in terms of Kaikoa, what we're planning on taking from them is a few of their components' designs, 
such as their camera's waterproofing, because their method was a lot better than what we used. Mm-hmm. So it really is uh, a majority of ours, theirs, and every company's designs to make the best possible product. Mm-hmm. Now, Lily, when you're in a competition and you're seeing other schools and other approaches, were there any ideas that you saw that kind of blew your mind, like that was a great innovation or something, thinking differently from what you had thought to make a underwater robotics platform function? One of the cool things that I saw was the underwater electronics. Ours is majority, it takes up majority of the space on our ROV. But the one that I think Kailua had, it was a tiny little thing in a little pelican case. And to me, it's pretty cool that they can make it that tiny because we considered having ours that small. But due to all of the wires and everything that needs to go in there, we just couldn't make it work. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when I, some of the other competitions, like, uh, let's say, uh, VEX, they have teams cooperating with each other. Was there a lot of um, opportunity to perhaps cooperate with some of the other or collaborate with some of the other schools? Or or is that a little bit a little more difficult because it's all so focused in on the ROV and, and the ROV design? Uh, we have friends from international, previous international competitions, such as we have friends from Hong Kong and Macau mm-hmm. in China. So for us, it we talk to them about their design considerations and what they do. But on the island, we, we've we talked to some teams like at competition and stuff. But other than that, we spend a lot of the time just focused on our ROV. Mm-hmm. Now, Rayanne, for your preparing for this, were you looking at um, other teams' performance? Were you sneaking YouTube videos from other competitions? I mean, what goes into getting yourself psyched up and ready for one of these competitions? Um, well, we talked, like, within our team and I got to look at some of the desi- the designs like on the internet but I was focusing on like preparing our team and mm. stuff, yeah. Now Andy, uh you know in terms of um the the whole sea perch and and made ROV and and uh we can talk a little bit about you know who's actually going to the internationals uh over in Houston. So what do you see as being kind of the, the, the future of this sort of under, underwater robotics here in Hawaii? I, I see the future as we continue to grow. Last year, we had seven teams uh, compete at the Mate ROV. This year, we had 18. Um, 18. 18 teams. Uh, over uh, close to 100 students showed up this year. And what's great is that we're seeing not only teams showing up, we're seeing sequence of teams. So like we have today, uh, Highlands and Pearl City. We've had a couple other schools that showed up where there are middle schools and high schools where you see the collaborative mm-hmm. for starting middle mm-hmm. school and feeding them up. So I'm really, really excited, actually, for the future of underwater ROV here on the islands. Um, Hilo had a very successful competition this year, so we're, we're continuing to grow. We're uh, highly competitive on the international and national stage with both Sea Perch and Mate ROV. Now, well, I definitely want to talk more about uh, the future of the program, how other people may get involved. Um, it occurs to me, though, that I'm hearing about controllers and cameras and tethers and motors, but I'm not sure I fully understand what one does in the actual competition. I mean, what it is that you need your underwater robot to do. I mean, Rayanne, what was the challenge before you that you were scored on uh, to accomplish in the pool? Um, So this year's tasks were based on um, like a mission to Europa and the Gulf of Mexico. So there were things such as um, measuring the temperature of a vent fluid and picking up like CubeSats and using cameras to look at like um, comparing numbers and 
We also have、um, things to do with like coral samples. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the robot would have, I would, I would imagine, some kind of arm then to collect or move cubesats or collect samples, for example. Yeah. So we had a claw that we used to pick up things.、Mm-hmm. And then, how much uh, uh, variation in claw design did you have to <laughs> did you have to consider, Lily? Um, so the claw that Kaikoa brought to the competition, we had a claw that was able to move. It moved、um, from the back of it so that it could be both horizontal and vertical based on the, our needs. But we had problems with it because it was so bulky that it had a problem collecting some things. But Triton's claw was much simpler and easier, and it just picked things up super. Quickly and efficiently. How what what controls the claw? I mean, is it is it electronic or is it hydraulic?、Uh, so the claw that we used at the state competition was electronic. It was powered by a bilge pump motor.、Mm-hmm. But after practice, we found that it has a tendency to get stuck. It was inspired by the design of a a vice. So it has a threaded rod, but we found that it often gets stuck because the motor didn't have enough torque. So what we did for the internationals is replace the motor with a pneumatic actuator. So we switched to、uh-huh. a fluid power. Now that's for the moving of objects, taking samples for the measuring of temperature at an underwater geothermal vent. I mean, at that point, now you're talking about sensors and some way to deliver that result to a digital readout, for example. Yes. So at the state competition, our team had a very simple method. It was a vernier temperature sensor. So we just had the probe get carried from the ROV's claw, and it went to the venting fluid and took the temperature and read it to a computer. But for the international competition, we're using a blue robotics temperature sensor. So it's going to be housed right next to our electronics housing and send data through the tether back to our onboard system. Now you know with、uh, with Sea Perch, everybody has to sort of look into the water to see you know where the ROV is in in terms of、uh, made ROV. I mean you have onboard cameras. That are actually、uh, your sight and and ability to navigate, you know, the the ROV. What are the what are some of the challenges, you know, with running a camera, an onboard camera underwater?、Uh, the main challenge was finding an effective method of waterproofing, because without the correct waterproofing, water would seep in, and we'd have to buy another camera and figure out another method of waterproofing.、Mm-hmm. And also、mm-hmm. finding the correct angle, because if the camera angle. Is placed in a way that you can't really see what you're trying to do. Then the missions won't be completed efficiently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, Ryan, you talked.、Uh, we've talked about that budget. That's one of the constraints. It's not like you can get top of the line everything, GoPro Hero fours with the underwater casing just ready to go. So, what were some of the trade-offs, Frank? For as I'm curious, that you had to make to get to fit everything in your budget, like something that you would have had if you had an unlimited budget versus what you ended up using to fit in your budget. Well, we used our Triton used、um, rear view car cameras, so like CMDs, and those are already a little bit waterproofed. But we had to waterproof them more with、um, epoxy and other things like that、mm-hmm. to make it actually like waterproof and sufficient enough to go into the water. But、um, like for the international competition, we would use like. Cameras that are better waterproof, like.、Mm-hmm. So, one of the things that <laughs>、um, Triton they just had a simple、uh, acrylic housing with just to, with everything in that one housing. But what Kaikoa had is we had one 
part of the housing for our camera, and then the second back part had the wires and everything encased in epoxy. So that ensured that no water was going to get into the system. And but if we did have an unlimited budget, we'd buy the already waterproof cameras right. mm-hmm. that were mm-hmm. like there. But those things can be easily a thousand dollars just for one. Mm-hmm. I like I prefer the sort of the MacGyver you know home built kind of stuff though. I think definitely that a lot of MacGyver ingenuity yeah, going on over here. So with uh, with the uh, you know with the handling of the maneuvering of the ROV, I know Ka- uh, Kaimana had like a like a joystick. I mean, what did what did Triton use for their sort of maneuvering? Uh, Triton used a very simple method of using toggle switches, so it's a lot simpler. It's not as easy to hold as a joystick, but it does its job, and it was a lot cheaper. Mm-hmm. Now, when you go to internationals, uh, what do you plan to, I guess, you know, describe the ROV that you're taking up with you to international? Um, it, the ro- ROV is a combination of all three companies' ROVs, basically. The majority of the majority of it is from the Triton's ROV because it was the most successful, like the attachment designs and things like that. Mm-hmm. But we are using some components from Kaimana, which are the more expensive components, and also from uh, Kaikoa, which are uh, very good waterproofing designs. Mm-hmm. I, I noticed that the joystick did have some problems with Kaimana. So, are you going to go with your Triton, uh, let's say, you know, toggle switches, or are you going to go with the Kaimana joystick? Uh, we're gonna go with the Kaimana joystick Ooh, because we're taking a chance. Yeah, we're <laughs> taking a chance, but we should have it in line by the competition. Uh-huh. So, Lily, what happens at this uh, this international competition is it effectively a repeat of what you did uh, a few weeks ago, but with a broader range of competitors, or are there little twists to the competition? So, at the international competition, you get the same amount of time, but the everything is a lot deeper because we're going to NASA, the NASA Buoyancy Lab in Houston. So. They have this thing is the tank is huge that we're going to be in. So it allows everything to be deeper. But we have instead of just the four missions that we did at the regional competition, we're going to have all five (laughs) missions to do within 15 minutes. So it's it's really intense. And some of the teams are really good and can do everything within the 15 minutes. So it's incredible. So will you be practicing now that school is out? You'll still have opportunity to practice at the at the pool. Yeah, hopefully once we get the ROV up to shape and ready, we're going to go to the pool hopefully every day of the week. So you're actually, I mean, school's already power, right? I mean, yeah. Oh, okay. I see a little sunburn already, so I think they've been quite busy <laughs> in their practicing. So, Andy, again, I'm sorry, getting back to sort of the program, and I love to hear how it's growing and how it's succeeding. Um, but I think a common question someone might have is how does a, a new school get involved, or how does a teacher with bright STEM students get involved? I mean, if it's the program is to grow, what's that pathway? So the best way right now is uh, through the, the marinetech.org website where they can go through and, and contact the regional coordinators uh, on Oahu. Um, and then same thing with Seaperch, uh, seaperch-hawaii.org is uh, how we can uh, serve as an ent- entry point. Um, but we're also looking to continually expand our uh, outreach, uh, and we're, we're constantly communicating with the DOE and uh, through all the various uh, local STEM communities to get the word out because there's a lot of um, grants and uh, donations that we can use to help get schools started. Um, so it, it's not a 300 or $3,000 start. A lot of these teams mm. can start with loaner kits. Um, you know, I would say at least half of our first-time Seaperch teams get a free kit um, uh, off and on uh, from Pearl Harbor Navy Shipyard. Uh, uh, provides a lot of those um, as uh, grants to get to 
get Keen started. That's great. And is having a pool at your school a prerequisite of participating in this program? Absolutely not. We've seen everything from pools to horse troughs and everything in between. You know, especially with sea perch, all you really do is testing that you can get the, the motor waterproofed. Now, um, you know, there's a question on uh, on Twitter about uh, where does this lead you in terms of you, in terms of your career path. So maybe maybe we'll start with Alex. He's uh, the closest. Alex, Alex uh, yeah, you're the closest to having to actually make a decision on which path you're going to take. So share a little bit of uh, you know like where where you see yourself going. Well, I, I'm looking into the engineering field due to uh, my involvement in these competitions, but I'm not exactly sure what type of engineering. I'm looking towards either naval, aerospace, or mechanical. Wow. Okay, High sounds bars. good. Uh, Lily? Lily? For me, I'm looking into chemical engineering because through Science Olympiad and MATE, I've seen a lot of both engineering and chemistry, and I like both of them. So. Oh, great. Awesome. Now, now uh, Ryan, you Ryan, have some time yeah, to decide. Yeah, but, but we're going we're gonna to put you on the spot here and say, if you had to decide, what would you choose to do? Well, actually, I've, um, I'm in Science Olympiad, so... There's like a lot of different events, and one of mine is anatomy and physiology. So, thinking about being a doctor. Very good. That's fantastic. Now, Andy, you're going to be heading off somewhere, so I'm hoping that the baton is handed to somebody as well equipped as you are. That's right. Um, My commanding officer, Captain Ed Shepard, is uh, committed to keeping the Coast Guard involved in this program, and we're uh, meeting with friends of Hawaii Robotics to make sure we we continue to grow this. uh, Where Captain Daly started many years ago uh, with Sea Perch, and we've now reinvigorated the Mate ROV program. We're going to continue to press forward and keep growing the teams. Okay. One more time, if somebody wanted to find information, what was that website? MarineTech.org. MarineTech.org. And where can people find out more about uh, how you guys perform at the internationals? So there is a live stream going on uh, from June 23rd to 25th on the Marine Tech website as well. So uh, what's the URL off the top? MarineTech.org. Mar- yeah. Very good. Okay, we'll do that. <laughs> well, of course, Andy Garshorn is with the Coast Guard, and, and, and we have students here, Lily Adcock. We have Alex Yamada and Rayanne Lee, and they're all students from either Highlands Intermediate, that's Rayanne, and, of course, Pearl City High School, with, which is Lily and Alex. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure being here. And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week when we'll talk about startup investing in Hawaii. And, of course, if you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can email us at feedback at bitemarks.org. And, of course, you can also find us on Twitter. I'm at bitemarks. And you can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chong, and our executive producer is Beth Ann Kozlovich. And we leave you with another oldie but goodie. Here's a song, or actually the band called Shoestrings, and a song called Whipped. See you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe.